Amen. Thank you, Lord, for encouraging us through the voices and the lives of our young people this morning. And as they sang that song, it certainly ties in with the message this morning because we're going to talk a lot about reality. And when I get to the point of the reality of God's love, what a beautiful course to hear in our minds how he loves me. Do we live our lives in the reality of, oh, how he loves me, that there is a real God in this real world, in our real lives, that is jealous for us. That is an incredible truth. And may God open our hearts and minds to his truth this morning as we apply ourselves to his word. We are continuing our study, communion series study in the book of Proverbs, and we will be in chapter three this morning. And we have been learning about wisdom. Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has been teaching us about wisdom, what it means to be wise. And one of the ways that Proverbs teaches us about wisdom or or life is often by contrasting it. So he'll teach us about uh, being wise, but then he'll also show us what it means to be a fool. Here's the wrong way to do it and the consequences. And here's the right way. So there's often two contrasting ways of life. He also will talk about the wicked and the righteous. So he employs these opportunities to teach us what it means to be wise and the different paths that people can take. And we have found in our study that there are aspects of wisdom that are pretty easy, but there are also aspects that are pretty difficult to find. Uh, An easy aspect of wisdom is by looking at God's revealed word. There are so many things that God says to us that just make life easy. So, for instance, in one of our communion series, we studied the Ten Commandments. And God says things like, uh, thou shalt not worship any other gods. So it's pretty plain and clear how we should think and live based on that command. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't break the Sabbath and so forth. So we don't have to wake up every morning really scratching our heads and just laboring over the decision. Should I or should I not take my neighbor's four wheeler? I mean, it's close. I think I could do it and get away with it. I would have great fun. I've got a place on the lake I could drive. I mean, we don't have to think about what's the wise decision to make in situations like that, because God has graciously revealed it to us. That's the beauty of his divine revelation. And there's uh, plenty of it. And we can build our lives on that revealed word and be wise. And that's the easy part. The hard the hard part about we being wise is trying to make the decisions that aren't so obvious. And actually, that's probably the majority of our lives is Making those daily decisions that are, are not directly revealed in God's will because we have to wrestle with those things. And they're not plainly, say, black or white or right and wrong. There are decisions that are very dear to God's heart and very, very important to him and to us. And we cannot turn to a certain page in the Bible to get an answer. So, for instance, uh, take holy matrimony. I mean, very, very important to God and one of the most important decisions that we will ever make in our lives. So take um, 
Church attendance, obviously very, very important to God and very important to us that these things shape us. They're, they're formative in our Christian lives. And yet you cannot turn to page 101 in your Bible and find out who God wants you to marry or a few verses or chapters or books over page 356 and find out what church to attend. And yet these are so important. So how do we make these decisions in our lives? The things that come our way. Sometimes it seems like life is like that game show. And I can't remember if it's let's make a deal or the price is right. Where the host says, is it behind door number one or do number two? Which one is it? Let's make a deal or door number three. And you want to make, you know, something good is behind these doors. Uh, and you really don't want to blow it. You want to make the right decision. And sometimes it almost seems like life is a guessing game. But it's not a guessing game. It's not a guessing game because along with God's revealed will, the easy things to read and understand is the spirit of the living God. So we are not alone when we labor over God's word, but we have a real person with a real will, real emotions, and he is helping us. It's this relationship. He is influencing us just like our friends and family influence us as we have conversation with them. The Holy Spirit influences us and we use all of the tools of Holy Scripture. And he does guide as we pour ourselves and wrestle with the revealed truths. He does guide us in making these very difficult decisions about wisdom and Foolishness. And yes, sometimes it can be overwhelming and sometimes life is confusing on its own and sometimes we just make a mess out of it. But we are blessed to know in Proverbs that wisdom has a beginning and the beginning is the fear of the Lord. That's where true knowledge begins. And we were informed that that fear of the Lord is not running from God because we're so scared of him. As we were reminded in our offering song, oh, how he loves me. But it is fearing God in the way that we look at him properly, we put we ascribe so much worth and value upon who he really is. All wise, all knowing, all powerful, gracious, loving, merciful. And, and we he, he is so worthy that we wouldn't dare to do anything in our lives to detract from that. We, we want to, our lives to reflect how worthy he is. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And when we live life under that understanding then wisdom comes. Wisdom comes in all of these tough decisions because we're living in such a way that wants to honor God, only delight him and not displease him because he is so incredibly awesome. Our Old Testament scholar friend Gerhard von Rad has defined wisdom as living within the realities of life. Competence with regard to living within the realities of life. And that tells us that there is such a thing as reality and it can be lived in. And that if we make choices that don't fit with it within it, then we will suffer the consequences. This reality of God changes absolutely everything about who we are, and why we live. And the psalmist says only a fool says is it. Only a fool says in his heart there is no God. Because it's so obvious to him that there is a God. But can you imagine why is it foolish to live as if there's not a God if there is a God? Well, it's kind of like 
living as if there's no gravity when gravity is an absolute reality. Can you imagine how far would you get in life if you decided to live as if there was no such a thing as gravity? You, you would be very self-destructive because gravity is a real thing. It pulls us to the ground. And if you jump off a building or even try to take this step without knowledge that we're not on one level. And so, yes, it's a very foolish thing. And it is, according to Scripture, very foolish to try to live lives without the reality, absolute reality that there is a God. And he is the God that has revealed himself in his word. Recently, I had a conversation with a Verizon store employee, something that I do frequently, either over the phone or at the store, which is a whole other story that I'm really going to try not to get into as tempting as it is. However, I was in a Verizon store speaking to a person there who was trying to restore my phone, which still needs to be restored. I said I wasn't going to get into that, but. Um, anyway, in our conversation, he found out I was a pastor and he said, well, I'm engaged to be married and um, I am wondering what my, we have to meet with a pastor that we want to officiate the, the marriage. And my wife is a Christian and I'm wondering what kind of questions will the pastor ask me? I'm a little nervous. And in our conversation, I found that he is an agnostic. He does really doesn't really know. He doesn't believe in God. And also he says, you know, I basically describe myself as a relativist. And he said that um, I'm a relativist because, you know, it just really seems like the best way to work together to, to get things done is to just be very tolerant of each other's views, because when you come down and say, no, this is where we need to go. This is what we have to do. You just alienated everybody else's view and lifestyle. And so it just seems like it's the best way to get things done. So in our conversation, we talked about uh, a little bit about his marriage and a little bit a little bit about his life. And when he asked me what kind of questions would the pastor ask him, that's how we started talking about the faith. And I said, well, first thing he's probably going to ask you is about your faith. And that's when he told me he was an agnostic. And I said, it's important. Some pastors uh, will not marry people that are not equally yoked, meaning they're not both believers. And I don't know who this pastor is, but um, I don't marry people that are unequally yoked. I don't believe that Scripture gives me the freedom to do that. And so he was concerned about that. Uh, he says his wife is a Christian. And I also just said that he'll probably ask you things that would enable him to give you the best advice possible under your circumstances and your situation. Try to, to bless you in that way. But um, this is what I found out about his faith. And that is he is an agnostic and a, a relativist. So I began to challenge him in these things in, under the the obvious reality that God does exist, that this world does operate on basic principles. So if if the goal, what if you are tolerant, even if you are tolerant, you come together to do what to agree on what? Because if you're a relativist, then there are no absolute standards. There's nothing really that you can agree on, except that we're all relativists. And so what would be your goals? Um, because when you come together and you say, well, yeah, this is good and this is right or this will make us happy and this will make us sad. You just made a judgment call about 
a right way to live life and a wrong way to live life. And then you're starting to talk about absolutes. And of course, I threw in there the the famous terminology. Are you absolutely sure there are no absolutes? And he said, yeah, that's a that's a big weakness in my in my faith. But I began to explain to him that the reason that we can rely on anything is because there are universal principles, not just physical, but metaphysical and moral. And it's because God created things to work in such a way, including our own lives. And we can rely on them because God's a reliable guy. We don't have to guess and we don't have to wander. And he began to see that his he began to question his own life system and realize that the only reason he can even think about being a relativist is because there's something real like absolute truth. And then about that time, we were interrupted by another customer and haven't um, haven't resumed that conversation. But it's not a tangent. Think about this in light of Proverbs, in light of what Solomon is teaching us about wisdom and the beginning of knowledge is fearing the Lord. How what does that look like and how can we live that in everyday life? So here is a relativist that is in love. He's engaged to be married, has every intention to do that. He wants to, to have a good, strong, healthy relationship. He wants to live that out. The question is, how can you do that when you have no foundation of right and wrong? How can you how how do you even know where to grow? How can you grow relationally when you don't really know what where you stand or is this a proper place to stand? So, for instance, is it going to be OK to to lie to one another in this relationship? Is it going to be OK to to cheat on one another? I mean, do we are we tolerant about these kind of things? Is it OK to manipulate? You see, where do you draw the lines in Having this healthy relationship that you desire, you have these natural longings in your heart. You really want this because it's a God given desire. And but you but based on the wrong kind of worldview or beliefs, you don't know how to get there and actually can be counterproductive and work against yourself. Because if it's all relative, then love and marriage and relationships are relative as well. So you can basically kiss your hopes and dreams goodbye in that sense. Now that I pity that young man because the very things that he longs for, true love, true commitment, the desire to feel safe and secure, taken care of in life, you cannot obtain with his worldview. I pity his wife that I did his possibly his wife that I did not meet because he said that she's a Christian. And she is entering into a union with an unbeliever. The Apostle Paul calls it. What is darkness? How can darkness and light fellowship together? And the obvious rhetorical answer to that rhetorical question is they can't. You can't bring someone that doesn't believe in God as the center of your life and become one with that person. It's just it's not a good combination. So I feel sad for both of these young people. Wisdom is all about living in accord to reality. Now, they are trying to cheat life. This young man is trying to cheat life in the sense that he wants to live as if there's no God. He wants to live as if there are no absolute standards, but he wants something absolute in his marriage, in his life. You can't have it both ways. She's wanting to cheat life and saying that I believe in God and he's the center of my life and the source of my salvation. But I'm going to become one with a person that has nothing to do with this God. 
trying to get what they want without working within the universal rules. And it's just it's just not within the confines of reality. So I am sad for both of them. Well, with this in mind, what I want to look out, look at this morning is where do you find wisdom? Where does scripture teach us that wisdom can be found? And and um, it begins, of course, with the fear of God. And it is a matter of life and death that we have read. And I want to look at Proverbs three, the first 12 verses. And not every verse really pertains to the message this morning. You know, Proverbs is scattered, doesn't stay focused very long on any one theme. But I'm going to read all 12 nonetheless. Proverbs three, beginning in verse one, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace. They will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Well, this passage tells us the place of wisdom and how we might go about getting it. There are certain vehicles, if you will, that God uses to bring wisdom into our Lies, But the place of wisdom, first of all. So where is this place? Well, verse six tells us that it is the path God calls our lives or the place of wisdom, this path that we're walking. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. So God sees life as a path and he wants to make it straight for us. So what is this path and what is why would he want to make it straight? Well, obviously, a path is something you walk. It's a great metaphor. It immediately opens our minds to to a vision of of a path there and how we might walk it. And it reminds us of many things. It reminds us that life is something that's always on the move. You can't stay stagnant. And it also reminds us that if it's a path, if it's something that we're walking out, that it's not just wisdom isn't just found in the classroom or just found from from messages, it's something that we hear and it filters through our minds, but it's something that is intended to be lived out. We can only gain it and really know it when we apply these things. So it's not just theoretical, it's it's real and it's very practical and primary learned by walking out what we believe. And as we acknowledge God, we in, in all of our steps, that is how we gain Wisdom. So it also um, reminds us that we have to change. And it also reminds us of the story of the hare and the tortoise, that sometimes if you try to sprint through life, you think you have more time than you really do and it catches up to you. So it's just this picture of this. It's a steady, everyday pace that we set on this path called life. 
It, re- it represents our daily grind. And it also reminds us that every day we're either headed in the direction that we want to go or we're headed in the direction that we, w- we don't want to go. And that's our path. But more specifically, what is our path made of? What are the stepping stones of our path? Well, those would be our daily decisions. The decisions that we make on a daily basis, they are determining the next minutes of life and all the way into our future. So our path, that's, that's why it's called our path, because these are our decisions. It's the course of life that we are choosing to take. So all of these little decisions, the daily grind, we might call it, the daily choices, what we're going to believe, what we're going to do, those are t- either we're either making wise decisions or foolish decisions. And that is the path that is making up our lives. That's what Proverbs is trying to teach us as we're going through this process of making up our minds. Have you ever said, I just can't make up my mind as we go through this process of making up our Minds, we are either on the path of wisdom or foolishness, wickedness or righteousness, good or evil. So today's decisions, in large part, determine tomorrow's character. They're turning us into something. The decisions that we have already made this morning are turning us into something. So many people wake up in our culture on a sunny morning and they have to make decisions. Should I go to church today or not? That's an important decision. And that decision's either going to, the answer to that's either going to get them closer to where they want to be or further away from where they want to be. So our decisions are making us what we are. They're the matrix of our soul, if you will. And I think we know this, but they're the, they're the building materials that are making us what we are. And that's why we cannot agree with the modern day belief that we are all just victims. We're all just victims of our, I guess you might say, our nurture, our parents, or our family, or our culture. Because we have a say in our own lives, Scripture teach. We make decisions. We respond to the things that happen to us in life. Our culture and our upbringing impact us and influence us greatly, absolutely. But they are not the final word. In how we're going to live. And our culture would have us to believe because of your past. This is the path you have to walk. You just have to stay in it. And scripture teaches us. Yes, you have a path and a past and it's real. But today you can be set free from anything that is in your path by choosing the right thing. By making the right decision. That's one of the things that Jesus meant when he said, and the truth shall set you free. He's speaking about salvation, of course. The truth of the reality of God and Jesus as a source of our salvation. But all truth sets us free from all lies. It applies, it filters all the way down into our daily decisions of life. So when we choose to line up with reality, then that is what it means to be set free. And and Proverbs is giving us the tools to make these kind of decisions. And to form our character. So in. All of these little decisions, I'm going to give you an example of what this looks like and going to turn to C.S. Lewis, who we discussed at our elders deacons meeting. You read him and he's profound and you can't you you just you're eating it up. And then and then you go to explain what you just read to somebody 
And you say, wait a minute, let me go back and read that again because it's hard to reproduce. So I'm going to quote him a lot. But he is a pro at helping us see how these small decisions in our life are basically forging the big picture. He says, every day when you make little decisions, you're putting a little mark on your soul, a little twist. Slowly, it's through the little things you do. It's the pathway. It's just one foot after another, after another. And the actions and choices you're making in your very ordinary daily life are either taking you down to becoming a person like the angels or like the demons. So remember, wisdom is making choices based on the realities of life. So in his book, Mere Christianity, he gives an example of this. And I'm going to kind of modify it a little bit to make it a little more relevant to us. But he says, imagine one day you're reading the local newspaper and there's a big headline about a scandal that is about to break out. And you're going to read all about it in the in the upcoming weeks. And it turns out that this scandal is pertaining to a group of people that you don't particularly like anyway. I mean, you've been suspicious about their activities and you uh, you really they're not your cup of tea. And you're actually kind of delighted to read that finally they're going to they're going to pay the price for their misdeeds. Finally, they're going to they're going to pay the price for kind of making your life miserable because they maybe they stand against some of the things that you believe in or you've been very, very um, annoyed by them and suspicious of their ways. And now you're reading in just a couple weeks, my suspicions will be affirmed and I'll get to read all about it. But the next week's paper comes out and you read the headlines only to find out that the reporter was misinformed and there was no scandal at all. But in fact, these people are completely above board. And he says, now, when you read those words, this is now this is just an example of our daily decisions. When you read those words, you have an important decision to make. What do you do with this news? This is where the rubber meets the road on your path. He says, whether you realize it or not, at this point, you have a decision to make. On the one hand, you could say, thank goodness that person is not as bad as I thought he was. Or you could be very disappointed and decide, I really wanted to think that person was bad. He says, if you go with the first thought, thankfully he's not so bad. That's one thing. But if you go with the second thought, the second feeling is a feeling of disappointment and a determination to hold on to the first story that your first belief of these people as being bad simply for the sheer pleasure. Of what it does to your heart and your soul. The sheer pleasure of thinking your suspicions are right. They're bad according to my estimation. And that has been affirmed. In other words, you're, you're thinking of your enemy as bad as you would like them to be. He says if you do that, it's the first process into what he would call following after uh, an angel or the devil. He says, one is beginning to wish that black was a little blacker. If we give that wish its head later on, we shall wish to see gray as black and then to see white itself as black. And finally, we shall be fixed forever in a universe of pure hatred. But I want to think that they're that bad. So I'm going to believe that they're that bad. If you say that, what have you done? 
Well, because of your resentment, because of your grumpiness and unhappiness, you're choosing to believe something that's probably not true. You just want to believe it. And that means you're just a little more foolish than you were a minute ago. Because you're out of touch with reality. Look how quickly our daily decisions when we relate with people picking up the paper and making assessments and opinions about what life is all about and how we interact with it. Look how easy it is to break out of the reality of truth and to begin to think in a certain way just because of the sheer pleasure of it, even though we might know it's not true. Wisdom is making Choices on the basis of reality, not what we think is real or not what we want to be real. And Timothy Keller says, it's the little things you do every day that count that can either make you more resentful, more cowardly, more proud or more loving, more forgiving, more courageous. The stronger your character, the wiser you're going to be, because the more in touch with reality you are. So these little choices that we're making every day, thousands of them, are building our character and determining what kind of person we're going to be. And we can't blame that on anybody else. So we're either gaining ground or losing ground. We're either becoming, say, more prideful or more humble, uh, more gracious, more forgiving or uh, more hateful, more bitter, more angry based on what we believe about other people. And when we do that, we begin to step out of touch with reality. Creating a scenario in our mind that is not true. Which means in verse 7, we're becoming wise in our own eyes. So you see how helpful Proverbs is when it encourages us constantly to live within the reality, to make all the decisions in light of God and the person of God, the holiness of God and the plan of God, it, it, it addresses every decision we make. Every thought process we have is to come under the submission of Christ. And so that is the, the place, is our path. It's our daily decisions. What are we making of it? What does our path look like? Are we headed in the right direction? Even if I were to ask you right now this morning, where is your path taking you? Where do you want to go? And are your daily decisions and how many of them are bringing you where you know you ought to be? And how much of us is living in a little bit of la-la land? Trying to cheat life. Believing in this, but trying to cheat life over here by living out of step with God's plan and reality and God's truth. As we're on this path, there are specific things that God uses, or avenues, vehicles, whatever you want to call them, that God uses to bring wisdom in as, as we're walking along. And I'll close with these avenues. First, knowing God, verse 3. I mean, I'm sorry, verses 1 through 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. This, these verses have a little bit of a twofold effect. First of all, he's talking about just the straight commandments of God, the easy things that we've already talked about. But verse 3 is actually talking about God's love for you, not just the commandments. These are, these are covenant words. These are the same words we looked at today in Sunday school. I think it was Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8 when God was talking about I didn't choose you because you were more in number. 
I loved you. I chose you because I loved you and I I am fulfilling an oath I made to your forefathers. That that's what the sovereign election was all about, was the love. And so, in essence, what he is, this proverb is telling us is let not God's covenant love, God's covenant faithfulness ever leave our mind. We don't ever want to let it leave our mind to think that it's for God's forsaken us. So the idea is that as we walk this path, we want to walk it always knowing, always being as sure as we possibly can be that God loves us. Oh, how he loves us, that he is jealous for us, because when you walk with that reality, you're going to make different decisions every day. And how many times do we walk wondering if God really loves us? What are you doing up there? And do you really love us when his word affirms? Yes, life is hard, but my love never forsakes you. You see how important it is. And when we make this, these decisions, that's when wisdom comes to us. Knowing that God is for us. Robbie prayed it in his prayer and worship, knowing that God is for us. And yet many times we go through life wondering, are you for me, God? Have you turned your back against me? He does discipline us, which we'll get to at another time. But it's out of what? Pure love. Do we make decisions? Where are we in life right now? And do we know that God loves us? That's his plan. And it's not because of what we did or didn't do. He tells his people it's just his decision and it's his decision to make. And then he he keeps that covenant oath. In other words, I'm always going to feel this way about you. I'm never going to change. Wisdom comes when we remind ourselves of that in our hearts and minds and let it grip us every day. Second, trust in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. How many times have you heard that? It's one of my favorite verses. I know there's others in here that love these verses. It has a great ring to it. It really preaches trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's, it's poetic. It's very, very deep. And yet, especially as believers, it's easier said than done. Well, why would you say that? Because a lot of times, well, trusting in the Lord with all your heart is easy to slip in and out of. And yet Proverbs is, is reminding us all your heart, the emphasis, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. As believers, we often can slip in and out of that. And what I mean by that is along the path, certain things become very important to us and very dear to us. And without always realizing it, we can be having our devotion and living the Christian life. But but these other things are actually becoming our safety and our security. And we're really we're really relying on the, certain things to keep us up, um, to keep us secure. We don't always realize that this is happen, happening until the bottom falls out. Then we think our life is gone. It's shattered. I lost this thing only to find out that's where our trust was. Part of our heart was with God and on his team, so to speak. But yet part of it, maybe without even realizing it, had begun to place its trust and depend on something else. You know, our jobs, you know, when it shuts down, we lose our footing, footing and we're shaken because all along we were looking to that thing. 
for satisfaction and contentment in life. Our job, we were looking at our job or our our savings to hold us up. We were looking at this this strong relationship that we have to hold us up in life or our health or our looks. And when we lose these things, if we have them to begin with, then our security begins to go. So rather than waiting till we lose these things and are shaken, we can ask ourselves a question this morning. Does God have my whole heart as I evaluate my life? What am I really trusting in? Even children can begin to trust in the Lord and not so much their parents for their ultimate contentment and satisfaction or even their friendships that are so important. Begin to look to the Lord for your true safety and security. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Wisdom comes to us through that avenue of the daily decision of trust with a whole heart. And then third, submitting to God. Verse five. Do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him. We. Scripture acknowledges that we have plans. You know, we make them. And the Lord wants us to think these things through and to take life serious and make plans. Uh, come up with ideas. He knows that we have opinions and those are good and well. But in the end, all of these things that we have and all of our thoughts need to be in perfect submission to God's plan, God's will and his course. So it's it's an encouragement to know the course, to know God, to trust in him and then to stay that course, to keep that course and submit even our fleshly desires, even the desires of our heart. Just keep submitting them to God and his ways. A lot of times we begin to want something and long for something so much we think we have to have it to make our lives complete. And we run out from under the umbrella of God's will or God's ways to go grab it. And we want to bring it back into our life and it doesn't work. It's it's giving everything under to the submission of the Lord and submersing ourselves and trusting him for those things. And then lastly, living with God's people, wisdom comes through just the community. And we've taught this many times in this fellowship. And that pertains to verse seven. Do not be wise in your own eyes. And we learn that one of the definitions of a fool is to be wise in their own eyes, because basically they think they know it all. So there's really nothing to discuss. I can't gain anything by having a conversation with you because I've looked at it from every angle and I know I'm right. Uh, so basically, you would only waste my time. And that's called being wise in their own eyes. And yet the scripture says, don't be like that. Well, what's the opposite that? And that would be to welcome other people's input. Welcome the the uh, the perspective of the community of believers, of the saints, because everybody sees things. We've we all learn things on our path that are valuable to others that are on their path. And so it's a it's a commonwealth, if you want to use that term. But it is it is uh, benefiting from the wisdom of other believers and other people instead of being wise in our own eyes. So we say we've got a big decision to make. And I so I say to myself, well, Elder Snow, he's been around for 100 years. I should ask him. He's been living for the Lord many, many uh, years, and he probably has some insight into this or professor such and such. 
or brother or sister such and such because they maybe they've experienced this in their lives or you like the way that they have responded to things. The, the idea is that it's kind of like to use the military term. I got eyes. Do you have eyes on something? Recently watched uh, a military movie where a sniper, not not to give the name away of the movie, but there was a sniper um, who was looking at things through the scope. He had eyes on things that the people on the ground had no idea. Their lives may be in danger. He saved lives because of the perspective and the view that he had. He was up higher. And so there are people in this congregation with a perspective and a view that we need in many instances when we try to make decisions about life, especially important decisions. Maybe it's our parents or a godly friend or pastor, elders, deacons or whatever. There's many, many wise people and seasoned believers in this congregation. So we want to be wise in God's will and God's wisdom comes through our willingness to listen to him through the voices of others. And that, of course, would include church history. So the place of wisdom is this path that we're on. And the stepping stones or pavers are our daily decisions that are forging our character for tomorrow and the next day. And the primary avenues that God uses to bring wisdom into our lives is by knowing him and his word, by trusting him. So applying this and by submitting all of our ways to him and by living in community. And there's one more way, one more avenue, very important avenue that God brings into our lives that really um, magnifies all of them. It's probably one of the most powerful ways that God brings wisdom into our lives. And it's in verses 11 and 12. And I'm going to save that for our Father's Day message. So just to whet your appetite. It's another way. I'll save it in verses 11, 12, which will be just a couple weeks. So let us now. Commune with God and worship with God in the re- in light of the reality that he is God and there is no other. And oh, how he loves you. May God bless the preaching of his word.